as Barnes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family this morning. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for always being there with us and revealing to us the dangers in this world, the precautionary measures we are to take, and the availability of the Word to wash over us as we do so. Father, thank you for always giving us discernment on those things that infect us like disease, things that make it into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls, that take, away, take us away from worshiping you through your Son. Father, we just are so grateful for all the grace and the love that you've revealed to us over the years. We pray for those in the congregation that are ill, that though they earnestly desire to be here with us, that they realize that your will be done in time and that we're praying sooner than later that they make it back to us to the fold so that we might fellowship with them and reveal our love for them. We pray also for those lost in this world, Father. It just seems to be so many. and We know that we don't save anyone. You do but we're so very grateful for the opportunity to partake in the delivery of the gospel, to stand firm in it by our faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an, a morning like this even a reality for all of us. We do just ask your blessings on this morning's message and the goings-on, all of them. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning uh, is special. Um, uh, Scott Grande, Evangelist Scott Grande, is going to take some time. I, I, I've sort of apportioned him uh, through his uh, Christ Saves Ministries organization a couple of times a year. I think that's a good amount of time for Scott to come up and give you updates. If you're interested, he's going to take the next 10 or 15 minutes to give you an update on Christ Saves Ministries. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you, Pastor Collins, for allowing me to share this update. And um, I've been honored to serve, as many of you know, um, in the area of evangelism and missionary work since about 2005 with Christ Saves Ministries. And just to be clear, um, Christ Saves is a separate ministry from North Christian Church and is supported also by others outside of our church as well. We currently support... 10 pastors and evangelists on a monthly basis. And these are all men we have vetted out over the years. Um, I personally have been out to see many of them, uh, as well as uh, we have a trusted associate that we've sent out a couple times as well named Kingsley. So these are all people that we vetted out and are, are confident and even more confident in at times as we go on to support them. Right now, Christ Saves operates in a supportive role for uh, these dedicated men of God and their wives who live for Christ in hostile territories. And I just want to do a quick review of who we support and what they do in their ministries. So first of all, um, we, we have several pastors in India we support, four pastors that are running six total Bible schools. And these schools train men in the gospel of Jesus Christ over a two or three year period. 
So they're at least sufficiently, you know, trained. You're always training, but at least in the basics of uh, especially salvation and the gospel. So then they can be equipped to reach out in their own ministries wherever they feel they're led. Uh, on the screen, Pastor Adams is our point man in India, if you remember him. Uh, I've personally visited him, visited him four, four times over the years, over the last 10 years. And through him, we've come to know the others that we support in India now as well, such as Pastor Raja, who's on the screen here uh, with him, and a Pastor Joshua and a Pastor Babu, uh, all in the state of Andhra Pradesh, where Pastor Collins went this past May to see Madhava and his family. And not only do they train students in the Word in the Bible schools, but they also go out and they live in obedience to the Great Commission. It's been a wonderful example to me personally as well. Uh, they call it village gospel and part of their training is traveling a couple times a week to share the gospel in remote villages mostly populated by hindus and muslims and we supply them with salvation pamphlets too in the telugu language that they can leave with people in these villages and what's neat is we're also able to print a lot for the money uh, we can print believe it or not a hundred thousand tracks for about 650 dollars so we do that every six months or so, and they get out 50 to 100,000 tracks every six, six months. It's pretty amazing. So keep them in prayer for that. Um, Pastor Adams also runs the Grace of God Orphanage out of his home, where he and his wife Indra and their sons, they have three boys, they care for about 20 orphans in their home. And also we support about 10 poor widows in India through Pastor Adams, uh, they live in the village where he grew up. So he's not in the same village now. He doesn't live in the same village he grew up, but he knows people there, obviously. And there are about 10 poor widows that don't really have uh, much to live on. And then uh, in Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, we support a dedicated young man whose Christian name is Philip. And he's a smart, humble man of God who's passionate about training students in Bible school as well. He runs a Bible school there. And he also takes them out into the jungle villages on evangelistic missions. Uh, Myanmar is mostly Buddhist, so there is a steady opposition against their evangelism. But even while supporting his wife and four kids, he presses on with an urgency and a persistence that's very encouraging and inspiring, honestly. Also, most of you met uh, Pastor Fassel John last year. He's from Pakistan and his wife, Carrie, they came to visit our church last year, if you remember. And we're happy to support them on a monthly basis. Um, they're very dedicated to spreading the gospel in Pakistan. They travel back and forth to Pakistan every year for months at a time. And we give them support each month to help them print gospel materials uh, in their language uh, to get it out to mostly Muslim people. And then moving on to Africa, uh, we have four pastors we currently support. In Nigeria, we now support a pastor, Cyprian, who relocated from Ghana last year to teach and care for a church that lost their pastor. So he's a very dedicated man to the word. Uh, they face a lot of attacks in Nigeria as well from religious churches. Um, in Africa, you get a lot of churches that claim to be Christian, but they can be quite religious and uh, you know, bent on earning their salvation, for example. So they have a tough job, for sure, uh, preaching the grace gospel. And we also support Evangelist Kingsley, 
who was originally from Nigeria, where I first met him years ago, but he now lives in Canada with his family. And we just sent Kingsley to Kenya last month to teach and encourage our pastors there. And what, he's just a willing, willing servant of God. And he's more than willing to go basically anywhere we ask him to go. And he did that for us to visit our, our men in Kenya in August. So then finally in Kenya, we support two brothers who work together in ministry. Uh, together they run and support seven churches right now there in various locations throughout Kenya as well as they run an orphanage out of their very meager means. Their names are pastors Joshua and Francis. And if you can see the picture, a little bit light, but on the far right is Francis, and then there's Kingsley next to him, and then Joshua in the middle. And Joshua is someone that got in touch with Pastor Collins a few years ago, I'd say, right? And he's built a relationship with him, and he's just a, a man with a mature perspective on uh, God and the gospel. So it's pretty neat how God brings all things together. But they're active in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're often opposed also by religious churches and pastors. Um, also, here are some of the orphans they support on a regular basis. And there you see Kingsley on the left standing uh, there with them when he visited them last month. And they also teach and assist a dedicated woman named Josephine, who cares for several widows in her village. Kingsley got to visit them, too, when he was there. Um, and it's just a tough situation. These widows have nothing. And fortunately, we had a sponsor come forward to sponsor them every month. Um, and this woman, Josephine, sacrifices her own um, comfort, if you will, by taking care of these people, even though she has very little as well. Uh, our men there in Kenya, Joshua and Francis, they also help some sick children in another village that they visit regularly. Uh, it's like God gave them these assignments, and they, they kind of revisit these people every week or every month and spread the gospel, but also help people physically when they can. And it's been a great example to me of sharing the love of Christ. That's really what they do. They, they show the grace and love of Christ, and it ends up opening doors to preach the gospel. That's when people really listen to them, in other words. So it's wonderful. Keep them in prayer. We have several projects we're trying to help them with now in Kenya, including purchasing some beds and mattresses for the orphanage, uh, some medicine for the sick children they come across, and also we need to get some Bibles to them in the Swahili language. And we also hope to purchase a used car for them as they travel tens of miles by foot every single day through some rough terrain. And uh, these guys aren't young anymore. I don't know if you can tell by the picture, but it's not easy for these guys. And they trek up mountains and mud and different trails and such to reach these places that are 10 miles away. And um, they're just very dedicated, which is great. But we'll see what the Lord does. And as Kingsley shared with us from his recent visit, um, as I mentioned, they have rough terrain to go through every day, even just to do the simplest things. In closing, if you'd like to receive regular updates about the projects that we're supporting, you can uh, ask us to send you our monthly newsletter. Some of you, I think, already get that by email. So on the screen, for more information, you can just email me at scott at christsavesministries.org, and we can get you that newsletter. And if you have any questions about any particular thing going on, you can let us know. Uh, but I just ask that you keep all these men that I just mentioned and their wives and their children 
they really operate as a unit in these countries. Keep them in prayer. Um, you know, we think we have tough lives at times in this country, but every day their lives are difficult. Uh, there's harassment, there's poverty, there's faith tests that they get every day that we don't get. And uh, they're really on the front lines for the gospel. So I appreciate your prayers, and thank you very much for your time and attention. Yeah, I was thinking about, what, as Scott was uh, describing these individuals and how the gospel uh, is often presented, and uh, it's often show the love of Christ. If you, had, if you were broke, dead broke, I, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, including myself. I mean, broke like some people are in this world. And some older gentleman walked over a mountain after a 10- or 20-mile hike to show his love for Christ, and therefore for you, um, that's a, a wonderful way to open up a person's heart. And it was consistent. That was one of the things that Madhava said in India, the same thing. He said, we want to show the love of Christ, open their hearts so we can give them the gospel. It's a, and I was think, as he was talking, I was thinking about how that's not impossible, but close to impossible in America. Because nobody's like that in America. Everybody's got money in America. So it's, it's a difficult, it's a different challenge in America to open up, to get an entree into someone's soul so that you could give them, so you have a, a, an ear, an, an audience even. Because what do you, how do you open them up? I have everything. I don't need anything. Doesn't the Bible talk about that? I have need of nothing, right? These people are in the, on the front lines and they're doing it so let's thank you for the update it's really uh, encouraging and it's a, it's a sobering reminder uh, as to the privilege we have in many ways in this country um, in the in the manner in which the gospel goes out on the other side of the planet so kudos to you and your team and thank you very much for sharing uh, again we're getting back to the message though uh, why are the apostles so encouraging by grace they were prepared Part 56 is this morning's lesson. As I mentioned on Thursday, it's very important that you all understand the nature of the lessons this past week. Last Sunday was a tough lesson for a lot of people um, because they saw a lot of emphasis on um, a certain lack that uh, the, not just the under-shepherd, but as you saw this last week, the leadership team uh, sees in this congregation so just some uh, thoughts on that that I gave you on Thursday. This week's lessons, uh, while your pastor was commissioned to express his distaste for his congregation's lack of commitment, the lessons were not about him. The lessons were 100% about you. Uh, it doesn't matter how much I'm frothing at the mouth or banging my pulpit or what have you. It's not about me. I am a messenger. Is my heart involved in the message? You bet. But I represent uh, someone much greater than myself and a heart that's beyond my own, far beyond, infinitely beyond my own heart. And so um, just remember that it's not about the, this person. It's about what has he been commissioned to give you. So just a little bit more on that. Any indignation you saw coming out of this vessel was not about any 
personal affront to me. It was about a personal affront to the Lord. That's what I think a lot of people miss. They, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe because there's not a whole lot of people, and I'm not trying to elevate myself at all, but I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there necessarily, Christians even, that function that way. Usually when they're griping or moaning or spitting or frothing, it's about them. But that is not the case. I can tell you that. It is definitely not the case with me. My heart is not broken because of me. Because of any affront that one of you or all of you have given me over the years. And trust me, there's a lot of them. It's about the affront to the Lord. That's what upsets me the most in this world. It's not about me. Who cares? It's about what is the world saying and how is the world treating the only Savior. I'm upset by that. So that's where the, that's where the indignation comes from. That's where the, um, the emotion even flows from. It's from an indignation about how the world is treating the Lord. And when I see anybody or all of you in my congregation uh, skewing towards that, the same indignation comes out. And to whom much is given, much is required. At least they have an excuse. They're dumb. A lot of them are unsaved. What, what about a congregation like this? There's really no excuses. So the reason for the emphasis in our lessons is a warning. Again, we are under unprecedented attack in our church. If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem. So wake up. It's one or the other. Paul wrote of the nature of such ministerial things so well in Holy Scripture. Let's read it again. Go to Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1, such a lovely passage of Scripture. Ephesians 5.1, while he wasn't in rebuke mode per se in the book of Ephesians, there were certainly some um, prominent features of this particular passage, this particular chapter that this congregation could learn a lot from. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Any immorality or any impurity, just take that to heart. How about your life? Are you immoral? Are you impure? Are you greedy? These things are not to be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk. What about what comes out of your mouth? How's that going? Or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, and God. In other words, why would you act like one of them? Why would you act like an unbeliever? Why would you fellowship? Why would you befriend? What fellowship has a believer with an unbeliever? So says Scripture. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't get sucked in, in other words. 
This is what he's saying. His general audience was an audience of believers, remember. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, trying to learn. That means you don't know it all coming out of the gate. That's what you're doing this morning. What does it mean to be pleasing to the Lord? Well, isn't it obvious that the Lord and His Spirit and our Father in Heaven does not want you running around with unbelievers? Or other individuals that are acting like unbelievers that have really no affinity whatsoever? for the Lord? Is there any justification for that thing? And don't say, well, I'm trying to save them. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. And that's where this warning is coming from. Let's be honest about these things. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate. Do not participate. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Do you see the difference? Don't just don't not, don't even just avoid certain people and situations and activities. Literally expose them. Literally expose them. So not only is it a, a, a passive you know, disregard for ungodliness, but there's also an active regard for godliness. Does that make sense? A disregard for ungodliness and an active regard for godliness. In other words, it's not okay, as far as the Bible is concerned, just to sit there and go, eh, Eh. There's also an activity, do you understand? Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now that's a big deal. Making the most of your time. That's a question I suppose we could ask ourselves every day. Maybe before bed, maybe during the day, maybe halfway through the day, I don't know. Am I making the most of my time right now? Am I? I mean, do I consider the life that the Lord purchased for me important enough to make the most of my time? Precious enough to make the most of my time? So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That is a physical statement, my friends. Do not get drunk with wine or 
you could you could nowadays you could expand that into all kinds of drugs alcohol regular drugs do not get dissipated in other words if you're stoned out of your head you don't have the spirit if you're drunk you don't have the spirit does that make sense yeah things like self-control go out the window self-control is a named fruit of the spirit is it not there you go how do you have self-control how many people have you learned over the years well I was drunk when I made that mistake yeah because you didn't have any self-control well, I was stoned out of my head yeah you didn't have any self-control you weren't paying attention why because that's what happens when you intoxicate yourself with any kind of drug and don't say oh this one doesn't do anything to me that's garbage if God wanted you to be stoned out of your head then he'd say go get stoned out of your head that's not in the Bible if God wanted you to be drunk he'd say go get drunk that's not in the Bible do you understand what I'm getting at people these are the things that open doors for your enemies so a lot of you have to stop justifying silliness in your life you need to stop justifying doing this or that you have to go back to the litmus test is what I'm doing right now or deciding to thinking about doing right now is that pleasing to the Lord is what I'm gonna do right now gonna bring glory to God and if not you have to make a decision about that and if you dissipated we know that doesn't bring glory to God do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ again what is this all about the points on the board your under shepherd is telling you we are under unprecedented attack in our church not just the world I mean specifically this church and again if you don't see it you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem so wake up again specifically the Spirit has given you all the following even to think about up here in the board beware any person or situation you name it who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God anyone who's trying to or anything that's trying to fracture you from the love of God to divert your eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ is an enemy of God person place a thing you name it any noun will do in that statement anything that's trying to take you away from the love of God as an enemy of God so of course it makes sense my job as an under shepherd is pretty straightforward if you get right down to it I mean he gives me discernment discernment that you don't have you don't even have my vantage point you don't have my spiritual gift the most amazing thing about this particular spiritual gift is not my ability to teach I've been teaching my whole life I was fantastic at it in industry big deal it's the discernment you get as an under shepherd so some of you need to listen up because you don't have that discernment I do and it's been given to me as a gift 
Go to 1 Peter 5.2. So I take it very, very seriously, as should you. It's not about Ed Collins. It's about the gift. It's about the office. Just doing my job. 1 Peter 5.2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd. That's not teach, by the way. That's poimano. That's not teach. I mean, Scott comes up here and teaches every Tuesday, but he's not a shepherd. He does a real nice job. I could get other people up here that could teach you very well. People teach in the prep school all the time. Big Jim's back there right now. Great, you got the gift to teach. That's wonderful. But you know what it's not? It's not the gift of shepherding. I've told you this many times. The hardest part about this job is not teaching. Teaching's a blast. I mean, if you know your stuff, right? It's a horror story if you don't. But if you know, your, if you know me at materials, it's, the teaching is one of the most fun things to possibly do. Shepherding, brutal. Brutal. Why? Because he opens your eyes to things that nobody else sees. And then it becomes your job to tell people who don't see it that this is what's really going on. And they're like, no, nah, it's not happening. No, nah, I'm, I'm just going to go in the thicket. You're going in the thicket. No, I'm not. That situation is no good for you. Yes, it is. Stay out of my life, mister. I read my Bible. I pray every day. I'm filled with the Spirit. One of us is wrong. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, and we looked at Galatians 4.17 last week, sought in a commendable manner. That's part of how you choose a pastor. The day you think I'm not seeking you in a commendable manner is the day I'm telling you this day, right now, out of this mouth, leave. If you think I'm not seeking you commendably, then leave immediately. Because either I really am not, and you should really leave, Oh, you're just missing the whole point, and you need to go figure out your life. Figure out where your priorities are. Figure out what spirit you want to listen to. Because the spirit doesn't lie. Verse 3, Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be what? Examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Up here on the board, proving to be examples. If your pastor is righteously indignant about the things he is seeing in his congregation, maybe just maybe those in his congregation ought to ponder his example. In other words, if something can get your pastor in the condition that he was in last Sunday, let's say, don't you think he should ponder something? Don't you think that if you were here listening to him and watching him, that knowing that the, the message was for you personally, it wasn't just throwing some net out there? I've told you, every lesson is for you personally. Some of you do this. When you get hit between the eyes, I call it the scarecrow. Remember uh, Wizard of Oz? Which way do you go? Oh, that person needs it. This person, no, no, you need it. Every single one of you. 
So if I'm up here, your pastor is righteously indignant about the things he is seeing in his congregation. Maybe, just maybe, those in his congregation ought to ponder his example. Maybe you say, why am I not indignant? Because you don't see it yet. In other words, if you're not seeing what I'm seeing in terms of danger, let's say, or caution, is it fair to say that you might be missing something? Is it fair to say that if three of the leaders in this congregation have stood behind this pulpit just this past week and expressed the same thing, that maybe, just maybe, your perspective still needs a little tuning, a little adjusting. Three leaders. Is it fair to say that all of these lessons on perspective are so that you are equipped? Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Is it fair to say that that's in view? That all these lessons on perspective are so that you would arrive at this point right now and be humble enough to say, okay. Instead of watching the Patriots today, maybe I'm going to sit by myself under a tree and pray to God. For a while. Are you kidding me? I already got the Bud Light on ice back home. Jeez, give me a break. It's the Patriots. Tom Brady's my idol. Consider the fact that in the last week alone you've had an ordained pastor, an ordained evangelist, and an ordained deacon shoot warning flares across your bow. Three ordained, ordained men of God. So, not sounding puffy at all, we three are not run-of-the-mill Christians, my dear family. We are not the run-of-the-mill Christians. We are three ordained men of God. God himself has anointed each one of us in our own respective offices. You've got a pastor, an evangelist, and a deacon. All standing behind the pulpit saying, wake up all sharing our own failures at times, saying you're not even alone in this. If there are three men in a congregation that you'd want to listen to, it's the three that have stood behind this pulpit this last week. No kidding. But what's your problem? Go to 1 Peter 5.8. If you're not listening by now, shame on you. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Yeah, that's graphic, isn't it? It should be. Because that's exactly how Satan is. He wants to devour you. Not fresh, he wants to devour you. So, would it be the smartest thing? You ready? Would it be the smartest thing in the world to go to, say, a lion cage? Drunk off your gourd? So you could be leaning over the fence and, you know, almost topple into the cage? Would that be a smart idea? Or would it be a better idea to go to the lion cage stone sober? 
What if you have kids? How about that? I'm going to go completely intoxicated with my kids to the lion cage. Does that make sense? No. You see the practical side of the spiritual life? The one a lot of so-called good Christians don't want to talk about? They just want to talk about spiritualizing everything? What does the Bible say? Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Don't be dissipated, obviously. But don't be intoxicated with the world either. There are a multitude of forms of of, uh, toxicity or intoxication. Not just physical. You can be emotionally intoxicated. I mean, I see it all the time. I I I can't take it anymore. Half the time I go out to eat, let's say, couple of kids, maybe this big. Mom's on her phone the whole time. I'm like, what are you doing? Who's raising your kid? Yeah, I get it. Your kid's with you, but yeah, shut up. Here, here's another nugget. What's going on? <laughs> That's how some people are spiritually. Shut up, go away. I don't, I don't have the whatever. I'm intoxicated with the world, and so I'm drunk on it, and I can't take care of you. I won't take care of you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Up here on the board, be of sober spirit. Do not live carelessly. Your enemies are looking for you to let your guard down. And they're the, the, your enemies, including your own flesh, are the first ones to dole out the drugs, to dole out the things that will intoxicate you. Oh, your favorite thing is the bottle? Here you go. A joint? Here you go. Uh, and by the way, legality has nothing to do with anything. Booze and now marijuana are legal, right? Yeah. Okay. What's that going to do with anything? Here. Here's that. Here's that. How about an emotional thing? I'll bring in a a woman or a man to emotionally spin you up. How about that for a drug? Yeah, that's my favorite. Actually, I'd like both. (laughs) I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Whatever's going to intoxicate you, whatever's going to weaken your defenses, do you follow? Whatever it takes, what's the warning? Anything that takes you away from the love of Christ. Don't say, I still love Christ. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Is that pleasing to God? Living carelessly? Not being sober? In every sense of the word? I don't think so. I don't think that's pleasing to the Lord at all. And I'm not being religious or legalistic at all. Do not live carelessly. Your enemies are looking for you to let your guard down. A perfect example is with physical intoxication. We just saw that, Ephesians 5.18, dissipation. But that's hardly the extent of it. Do not just say, oh, you know, do this thing already. Oh, you know, know, you're sitting there in the middle, and you're going, this one's a drunk, and this one's intoxicated, and I don't know what. No. That's hardly the extent of it. There are myriad ways of being intoxicated. It's easy to point fingers. 
1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The one other point of caution the Spirit gave us uh, was on the topic of conduct, which is a practical consideration. Fruit of the Spirit, if you would. Conduct. Listen up. Do not make the mistake of thinking that the call to good conduct and behavior is some form of religion or legalism. The Bible speaks volumes of such things. Volumes of such things. Talking about good behavior and conduct, all you have to do is go back to the litmus test once again. Is what I'm doing pleasing to the Lord? Is what I'm doing. Right? Do not be a, a hearer who just deludes themselves. Is what I'm doing pleasing to the Lord? Do you really think there are things in this world that you can't do that aren't pleasing to the Lord? Yeah. Is what I'm doing pleasing to the Lord? That's a big question for a lot of people. And you know what? The Bible speaks volumes. But it's so much easier to just spiritualize everything, isn't it? Yeah. Go to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. This, this is where the warnings are, are stemming from. Some of you have... Um, uh, routines, let's call them, in your life that you need to break. Because the routine, every time you get to a certain point in time and say the week, your routine is to do this thing that's not pleasing to the Lord. Or every time you get to a certain time of the day is to do this thing that's not pleasing to the Lord, that's not bringing glory to God. That's weakening your defenses. Do you understand what I'm getting at? That's what he's been saying. He's like, don't just spiritualize this and, you know, write it off. Literally take it personally and, and have, it, have its effect in your life immediately. Stop making excuses for it. Stop justifying it. Stop whatever it is you're doing. That's what he's saying. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. To do good. Not just hear things. And then leave church on a Sunday and go, Hey, that was great. I'm so convicted. Okay, what's my routine dictate? This is when I go home. I sit in front of the TV with a six-pack of Bud Light or whatever you're poison is you choose your poison my ungodly relationship with somebody i don't know whatever's intoxicating to you this is my routine i leave church and i go right back to my routine and if that's your routine guess what the likelihood of you actually doing what's pleasing to the lord is very little very low i mean i'm not speaking like an intellect here right i mean everybody knows right i mean I'm not saying anything. It's not obvious, I hope. 
We're all grown-ups, right? We all know what's what. I mean, we can play games like we do. Maybe in your head you're like, dude, just shut up already. Shut up. I'm tired of hearing this from you. Too bad. If you think I'm not seeking you commendably, then leave. But if you just want to leave because I am seeking you commendably, I don't know what to tell you. You got a lot of growing up to do. And some of you are old. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would what? Think about them. No. Walk in them. I don't know how else to say it. Like, literally walk in them. So stop playing pretend. That's what he's saying. It's hard enough. The attacks are unprecedented. It's hard enough to be on the straight and narrow and resist the devil. You start intoxicating yourself. You, again, choose your poison, physical, emotional, whatever you want to call it. You start intoxicating yourself. What do you, what, what do you think of the probability of staying there is? You ever seen a drunk person walk? They don't want, why, what is the first what's sobriety test? Sobriety, get it, be sober, sobriety test. What do they say? Walk a straight line. If you're intoxicated with the world, do you think you're going to walk a straight line? What about fitness? What about the plow? The person who keeps looking back to the old life. What kind of, pl- what kind of rut do they... Uh, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know what you call it. What do you call that, Sean? Do you know? What kind of rut do they do? You know that little thing that turns up a rut so you can throw seeds in the middle? What kind of rut? Well, how's their plowing going to be? They're going to be all over the map because they're, uh, they're still intoxicated with the world. They've cut a path like this. Uh, that's not very good for farming. Why is there only one person laughing in here? I'm serious. Have I not given you? I gave you the original language on the, on the word fitness. So you'd understand it better. So you'd understand the intimacy of, of how the Bible gets right to the root problem in all our lives. And doesn't let us off the hook. Does not let us off the hook. I know some of you are already justifying. Some of you are already tuned out. Why? Did I offend you? Did I talk about your drug of choice? The one you like to justify to this day? Did I talk about something you don't want me to talk about? I don't know what to tell you. Have I become your enemy? You cannot please God if you ignore his will for your life. One surefire way to do that, especially if you're a sitting member of this congregation, is to ignore what's been coming from this pulpit. Like I said, this last week alone, we've had three leaders of the congregation stand behind this pulpit. So do take it personally. If there's ever a time you're going to take something personally, it's from the Spirit who motivated all three of us. If it's coming from this pulpit and your ears are hearing it, it was meant for you you know, as opposed to all those other people you've been pointing your fingers at. Stop doing that. Stop looking to other people. It's for you. So take it personally. We received some additional scripture on this. Go to 1 Peter 1.13. 1 Peter 1.13. This is such a magnificent lesson. I know it's quiet in here. Maybe you guys are just reflective. I hope that's what it is. I hope you're not 
uh, being childish, it's such a magnificent lesson. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, prepare your minds for what? Oh, it doesn't say that. It says talking. Just flap your gums a little bit. You know, flap them away. Prepare your minds for what? Action! Yeah, you know, like walking, ambulating, however you like, doing stuff that's pleasing to the Lord. Keep sober in spirit. Don't be intoxicated, in other words. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as what kind of children? Oh, obedient. Oh, man, there's that swear word again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges, that's right, impartial, we get a whole, we get a whole emphasis on partiality. The one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear. During, your time, during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves. That's talking about behavior. Conduct yourselves. If what you're doing is not bringing glory to God, something's not right. I don't know how else to say it. And stop trying to justify stuff. Stuff that's plainly stated in Scripture. And don't say, well, this particular drug is not listed in Scripture. Don't be an idiot. Because that's what people will do, right? You know what? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. You ready? I'll give, any, I'll give anybody in here a hundred bucks if they can find crack cocaine in here. Why are you laughing? You think God's, you, you really think that God's pleased when you take crack cocaine? But it's not in the Bible. I know. Can we stop being idiots? There's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. But can we stop being idiots? You get what I'm getting at? People love technicalities. They love technicalities when it's good for them, and they love technicalities when it's not good for them. Or they hate technicalities when it's not good for them. You get what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? We're such idiots. But we're, we're just so good at justifying our actions, aren't we? We're just so good at it. We're like masters. Imagine if we were that good at the good stuff. I'm serious. Like, imagine if we were as good at justifying our ridiculousness as we were at the good stuff in the Bible. Oh, man, wouldn't life be sweet? The Bible says to conduct yourselves in fear during, your time, during the time of your stay on earth. Up here on the board, God is impartial. If God is impartial, then you, we ought to be, if we indeed fear him. This means no partiality towards family, friends, loved ones. Why? What's the Spirit been saying? That's usually the easiest way into your life from without. Bad enough, you've got a flesh. How about other people's fleshes? How about ungodly people? How about unbelievers? Some of you have family members that are unbelievers. I don't know. Or friends or loved ones that are unbelievers. 
Should you give them like the red carpet treatment into your soul? I don't think so. That would be, that's one of the figurative ways of being intoxicated. You know, being intoxicated with the love of a child, let's say. Is there anything more intoxicating than a little, you know, blob? That you, they just smell nice. They, they're awesome and they grow up, right? And then their flesh comes out and you're still intoxicated by them because they're your children. But what if they're like, eh, I want nothing to do with the Lord at all? Should you still remain partial to them? And I'm not saying you can't love them or spend time with them. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Spirit's saying. But you can't fellowship with them. You can't encourage that path they're on. Not if you love them. So you can't have partiality just because you're intoxicated with a child or a good friend or, um, or you know, someone that you care about. That's what the Spirit's been saying. So this means not becoming intoxicated with or because of such people. Go back to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. So these are the wonderful things that have been coming from the pulpit. And I hope you see them. They're just fantastic people. Honestly, they're fantastic they're wonderfully placed. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your, ad, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But what? Resist him. Firm in your faith. Remember where we're going with this? We're going to get there before the end of class. Remember our last bullet? It was about power, having the power to resist the devil himself. How? Firm in your faith. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Again, the whole reason for these powerful messages as of late up here on the board, we are under unprecedented attack in this church. If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem. So wake up. And the final encouragement on this has been this, 2 Corinthians 10.5 in the Amplified we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every, you might say sophisticated arguments, justifying your ridiculousness. How's that for a sophisticated argument? Because if you're trying to, you know this, you know if you're trying to justify something that's wrong, it takes a lot of spinning, a lot of weaving a web, right? When you, the simplicity of what God wants for you is right there. But for you to get around it, you've got to spin this whole like web of like, you know, self-justification and lies and technicalities that you found in the, you know, obscurest parts of the Bible. And, you know, you put this verse with that verse and then this one with that one and voila, you get to be as intoxicated as you want anytime you want because God's partial to you. That's how some of you think. God's partial to me. He knows my weaknesses. So he gives me a free pass on the side. No, he doesn't. That's still wrong in his eyes. He knows my weaknesses. I cry to him at night in prayer. I weep, and he says, it's okay, my son or my daughter. It's okay for you because I'm partial. No, it's not. If the Bible says it's no good, then it's no good. But those are the little things, those are the uh, sophisticated arguments we make, you see, to end run his will for us. It's amazing. If we just took all that energy and, and said, you know, let's march forward. Sheesh, imagine where we'd be. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing. 
that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. That should be our attitude. Again, to summarize that, our goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. Our attitude is one of commitment. And that takes us all the way back to our primary course of study. We'll trek through this pretty quick. We've got some time. So far, what have the apostles lacked? And in this study, we've looked at them rightfully as encouraging because they weren't perfect. They were dubbed uneducated even. And I looked at the original language recently, and uh, one of the words that's used for them is ignoramuses. In the original language, that's how it translates. Uneducated, they're ignoramuses. Compare, you know, as far as the, the rest of the, the so-called educated crowd considered them. But they lacked things. They had understanding, but not all of it. They had humility, but not all of it. They had faith, but not all of it. They had commitment, but not all of it. And they had power, but not all of it. They lacked these things, just like us. So on Thursday, we began our study on power. Let's review this first passage very quickly. Go to Matthew 17, 14. 17, 14. So how do you get away? In other words, now the Lord's going to say, I want to deliver you. Do you take what he's been, do you take what that pastor of yours has been saying, these warnings? You know, some of you have been using uh, certain forms of intoxication for years as a crutch and then justifying it. And he's saying, you don't need it. You don't need that crutch. That's a lack of faith. Matthew 17, 14, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. That's the problem. Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. In other words, why didn't we have the power to do it? Because of the littleness of your faith. So you see this intrinsic relationship between faith and power. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Here's what we can conclude from Jesus' words to his disciples up here on the board. Faith is power. Faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons. He opened the gate, in other words, a year prior. Matthew 10.8 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. That was before that incident. So where ought we find our personal encouragement? So the Holy Spirit over the past week cracks your soul wide open and says, you got me. I'm either passively ignoring or I'm actually part of the problem. What do we do now? Make no mistake about the order of events. Faith is power. Some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives than, say, casting out demons. 
And it's not because God's power is insufficient somehow, because he is omnipotent. The reason is simple. We lack faith the same way the apostles did. There's a reason why you're stuck in a rut. You have, many of you have more faith in the world than you do in God. And you might say, that's not true. How dare you? If that wasn't true, why do you spend so much time in the world? I mean, frolicking with it, fellowshipping with the world. Why are the vast majority of your relationships with worldly people? You must have somewhere, when you made all those decisions to befriend and then even worse, God knows what, you must have made a decision for that versus what God wants for you. You must have made a decision that God's grace is insufficient. That somehow he forgot about you. I wrote a blog called um, God what is this? God heals, uh, God um, delivers the depressed. Is that what, how I say? Thank you. God comforts the depressed. Do you doubt that? Look, our God, our Lord God, loves us way more than anybody else ever could in this, in this world. Ever! You either believe that or you don't. Because if you don't believe it, where do you turn then? If the greatest love is with God through Christ, when you turn, away, when you turn to the world, then what are you actually saying? I don't believe you. I have more faith that the world can satisfy what I need more than God. I'm listening to my flesh more than God the Holy Spirit, let's say. The new creature. The good conscience. I'm listening to that stuff and making decisions for that more than I am for Him. What's that an issue of? Faith. Therefore, you have lacked the power to be delivered from certain things in your life. That's why you're stuck. Yeah. Because faith is power. So the question that begs to be answered is the one the Spirit had us hang on, uh, hang on at the close of our last lesson. Faith in what exactly? And I'll submit the following again for your consideration up here on the board. What do we lack? Faith in general, but also in the power of the Word of God. Some of you say, ah, oh, man, you know, you still think I'm famous for this in, myself, in my own walk. I'm famous. I'm a solution. I'm an engineer, right? I'm a, looking for solutions always. But they're always in my own head. And I'm always trying to concoct something new. Well, if I change this variable in my life, and I change this variable, and then the slope on the curve, that's like, you know, calculus? Slope of a point on a curve? Anyways. If I do this thing and that thing, and then the slope, my, my spiritual growth will like slope over and up and change that variable that and that you know I integrate under the curve and I get the nobody right and I do all this stuff it's just gonna happen God's like what are you doing you ridiculous nerve I knew I gave you too much brains right I that's a lack of trust in the Word of God 
I'm not trusting in him. I'm trusting in my own ability to live for me. And we all do it on our own ways, don't we? Some of you turn to this way. Some of you turn to that way. Some of you have given, some of you are given other gifts that the world esteems. Intelligence is one of them. I just gave you one. We talked about beauty last week. If God's not delivering, I'll use my beauty to get ahead. You don't think that happens? Or my manipulativeness, my ability to, like, you know, act as a a marionette. Or my, you know, whatever, you pick it. Those are all issues of faith. And when you lack faith, you lack power. So how do you get faith? Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. We'll go back to that. Go to, because uh, we got to do the, uh, we got to have communion as well. Go to Romans 10, 17. I think I'll end there. How do you get faith then? Say, well, I lack faith. That seems obvious. Therefore, I lack power. That seems blatantly obvious. I want the power to be delivered. I want to be delivered from these things. Anybody, raise your hand, seriously. Does anybody um, want to be delivered from something this day? Uh, yeah, right? Everybody, hey, some of you are like, DJ's like, yeah, he's got his body up against the glass. I'm totally in, me first, right? <laughs> his leg out the door, he's like, Phew. he's like, I got it all. Who doesn't want to be, de- who doesn't want to have the, the, be delivered? It takes power to deliver you, right? It takes power. Well, you can't deliver yourself. That was proven to you at salvation. And you can't deliver yourself after the fact. So what has the power to deliver you? Faith. And what does Romans 10, 17 say? Every time I read this, I think of Bill Johnson. I don't know why, Bill, because I think you were one of the first ones to really point it out to me. Lois is like, yeah, but I read it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what? Hearing. Hearing what? By the word of Christ. Ain't that awesome? You want more faith? You keep reading your Bible. You keep listening to it. You keep coming to church. This is a grace gift. This is a bigger grace gift, if I could say it that way. Forgive me if I'm out of line, Lord. You have all these grace gifts available to you. All of them. Just keep hearing the word of Christ. Keep taking in the word of God. Let it wash over you. Let it deliver you from yesterday's ridiculousness. Let it emblazon you. Let it build you up. Let it invigorate you for the day ahead of you. That's what it's going to do if you stick with it. Amen? All right. Let's uh, hand out uh, the elements, please, and we'll... Get ready for communion service.
Thank you, gentlemen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of our Lord. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, for every breath, for every moment shared with you. Father, thank you for your Son, for revealing him to us as the way to you. For he said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Father, thank you for the commandment to remember such things, to break bread the way we just have, to partake in communion service, Father. Thank you for everything that it represents in our lives. Father, Thank you also for this morning's message and the messages as of late in the diligent, humble, dedicated men of God whom you've anointed, who you chose from eternity past to help deliver the truth that sets us free from behind this pulpit. We pray for humble hearts, Father. We, play, we pray for the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit that our consciences are true and right towards you. We pray for those not with us, and we pray for those still lost. Father, thank you for the privilege to do so. We just ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.